In this episode, Ryan and I talked about currency depreciation, inflation, and the infinite banking concept. And we had fun doing it. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Here we are, 20 miles south of Fort Worth, Texas, undisclosed location, underground bunker, downtown Alvarado, Texas. It's pretty well disclosed, actually. I mean, you can go on Google. And... <laughs> you think so? I mean, that's why I have fun saying that. Hello. Oh, okay. Don't ruin my gig, man. Sorry. All right. So, as usual, you know, uh, Mr. Greg shows up with a litany of topics and points that he wants to make and cover, and, which is good. And I'm empty-handed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about a litany. It's just, it seems like... Maybe it's the current political climate. I don't know. But there have been more questions than usual from new clients, new people about inflation, uh, rising money supply, price inflation, rising prices, uh, and whether or to what degree the infinite banking concept is a good idea in the modern monetary environment. And in fact, I listened to a recent interview that you did with a client, Jordan, and y'all mm-hmm. talked about it some. I think we're recording here in early April. I guess that would have been recorded in March, but just came out mm-hmm. here in 2021. Um, so I wanted to talk about that because I <coughs> have found myself talking about it with a number of clients, and y'all had mentioned it on the podcast. There were some things I wanted to add. Um, and so it goes like this, right? Uh, as one client put it to me, if I do IBC aren't I sort of betting long on the U.S. dollar? Am I expecting, am I acting as though the U.S. dollar is going to remain the viable currency in the U.S., if not the world? Uh, And the implication being, am I vulnerable if something happens to the U.S. dollar? Um, Am I going to get hurt in some way? At least I I think Are you just now getting questions? From clients, I mean, haven't you received that type of question? Sure, for yeah several years. But now it's just been more. And there's more. been like more of them this past week than there has been. Yeah, so that's okay. what brought it to mind. Um, and so you know, whenever that question comes up, I respond to what they're <laughs> saying. But as time has gone on, it's like, well, why not just go back to Nelson? Right, he has a good way of handling this. Um, or maybe I have a good way of handling this question based on what he wrote in Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. So we can show the little book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. No, it's second second book. edition, right? Second printing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not over it. I know you're not. It's okay. But it is a second printing. All I'm right, so why do I... I guess. I hold a grudge. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So I bring Inflation. this up. I bring this up because uh, it's in Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. It might be in other places too, but... Uh, in chapter two, starting on page 15, Nelson talks about his state farm policy that he got in 1959 at the age of 52. And the reason I bring this up with clients is because I think especially those who are asking the question about the viability of a policy in the present monetary environment, they're familiar with what's gone on with the money supply between now, 2021, and 1959, right? Of course, it's shot through the roof. Mm. Much higher money supply than yeah, in, than it. in 59. Um, 
And of course, Nelson had the policy that whole time. So 52 when he started that policy, age 52 when he started that policy, an annual premium of $388.40. Okay, and it was a base only contract. So that was- Typically structured life insurance policy, and that was a lot of money for a man his age, a lieutenant or first lieutenant. Yeah, he put in there that uh, 10,000 in income, and if I was really good at math, I could tell you what the percentage of that is offhand. 388. 388 a year. 40 10, into 10,000. 3%, almost 4%. Yeah. But he was so also a tither his whole life, too. So mm-hmm. don't leave that out. Yeah. Right? And Andy, he uh, had a IDS investment with his brother. Mm-hmm. So pretty good for the average bear. Probably above the average bear. And base only, so relatively less liquid earlier on uh and it was just this was pre-ibc days as he was just paying premium into a life insurance policy but point being legitimate premium in the late 50s prior to a lot of the price inflation that we've seen uh since then and the reason i bring this up is because nelson talks about how he funded that policy, right? He used dividends to offset the base premium for the first 15 years, right? Not what we would suggest or recommend nowadays under the uh, umbrella of IBC. Uh, so it w- wasn't even optimally funded, right? Those those dividends could have been going back into the policy in the form of PUA, contributing to cash value growth and death benefit generation. Uh, so, you know, that part could have been better. But even then, Nelson shows checks of dividends that he instructed the company to send him in 2006, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, And for example, in 2006, that dividend check was $3,877.70. So annual premium, $388.40. Dividend check in 2006 of $3,877.70. All right, so let's understand what happened in that interim time period. Starting out at 388.40, it's base only, so we know that's getting paid each year, whether it's coming out of Nelson's pocket or whether dividends are being used to offset it. So even fixed premium in a increasingly price inflationary environment, right? So a, a dollar from 1959 to let's say the present time or 2006 is buying less and less of other stuff out in the economy. And Nelson makes a point about how things that the government's got involved in health, welfare, education, these kinds of things get much more expensive over time due to the increasing cost of a regulatory burden. And efficient too, right? And yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and Nelson points out the five factor. He says, in general, because of the amount of new money creation by the uh, Federal Reserve and the commercial banking system, that most prices throughout the economy rise by a factor of five. And those that those parts of the economy that the government's involved in, those prices rise even faster. Okay, so price inflationary environment. Even premium in price inflationary environment. Well, what's happening inside the contract? Right, something, had, something had to happen inside the contract to lead to dividends that are a multiple of 10 of the premium in 2006, right? What? Well, here's what's, what's happening inside the contract is every day that goes by, right, every second that goes by, every time we get a, a, an instant closer to the death benefit, cash values are rising, right? Nelson even mentions that the cash value increase in 1990, so this is 
what, 31 years after uh, the policy was started, the cash value increase on the guaranteed side of the ledger was $500. All right, so the annual appreciation in the cash value was greater than the premium 31 years into the policy. Okay. So what's happening, the, point, the reason I lay all this out, and if you have the book, you should go read this section. Again, it's chapter <clears throat> if two. if you don't have the book, you need to get it. Yeah. Building a warehouse of wealth. But here, here's my question to clients is, do you think Nelson's feelings were hurt when he had the opportunity to pay a $388.40 premium in what is, admittedly, a price inflationary environment in the rest of the economy in exchange for let's say a $500 increase in cash value in 1990 or a dividend check of 10 times the premium in 2006. Right? The point is that the benefits that were accruing to Nelson within this policy increased over time. Right? It, it perfectly willing to accept that a dollar buys less hospital time in 2006 or in <coughs> 2020 than it did in 59. This is true. But insofar as IBC is concerned, insofar as the uh, the contract, the dividend-paying whole life contract is concerned, what matters, or what I've put to clients, is the relationship between the inputs and outputs. Because that's what we're doing when we're buying dividend-paying whole life. We're buying a relationship between inputs and outputs. We're buying a relationship between the premium that we have the right to pay in and the benefit, right? The output, the death benefit and its net present value, the cash value. So what, what I want in any economic environment, in any monetary environment, is to get back or to have available to me to receive and benefit more than what I pay in, right? Uh, and that's what happens in dividend paying whole life. It's because of the nature of the contract. So long as time is going by, so long as you're paying premium, the contract is becoming more and more efficient over time, meaning more and more cash value growth per premium dollar, meaning more and more dividends each year, so long as the company chooses to pay them, right? Dividends are non-guaranteed. But so long as time is going by and I'm paying premium, cash value must be increasing. And it increases as the net amount of risk in the contract gets lower and lower, the policy becomes more efficient over time. And the dollars I'm paying in, the premium dollars I'm paying in, are contributing to that ongoing compounding effect. And so, like Nelson says, in the dividend paying whole life, you're paying a fixed premium with depreciating dollars. No question. Right? Dollars that would buy less than what they did yesterday or the time unit prior out there in the rest of the economy. But in dividend paying whole life, your fixed amount of dollars each year that are depreci depreciating elsewhere in the economy are buying more and more. All right, so, it, and I, this is where I get to with clients, <clears throat> is that, you know, I, we're insulated within a dividend paying whole life contract from the rest of the economic picture, right? Is it, a, is it unfortunate that we, we're in an inflationary environment when the cartelized commercial banking system is creating money out of thin air? Uh, you know, with, with seemingly without end and indefinitely. Yes, that's unfortunate. Causes a wealth transfer. I'm right there with you with all the rest of the Austrian economics. But when we zoom in on the individual's life, when we ask about what can be done personally, individually, in our own circumstances, and we look to dividend paying whole life, that worry falls away because what's going on in the contract is insulated from the rest of the economy. Right? I have the right to pay in a certain amount of money in premium 
and my benefit, the thing, what accrues to me, increases by a greater and greater amount every year per premium dollar. And so regardless of what's happening to dollars out there in the rest of the world, my point within dividend paying whole life is that your dollars are appreciating. Right? They may be worth less for other stuff out there, especially those government provided things. But within dividend paying whole life, your dollars appreciate. So could it be the case that you know there's some massive currency reset? But potentially, you know, I, I'm much less of a doomsday person than a lot of the other Austrians are. You got, don't forget there's a this whole world empire thing, you know, hundreds of bases, US military bases across the world. I don't think that we're just gonna allow some currency reset to happen underneath our feet in the middle <laughs> of the empire. It could happen, maybe not, but um, I think it's, in a sense, I think it's kind of beside the point because it's, and it comes back to that more fundamental question about currency that we've had, that conversation we've had, that we have had before, where it's like, the figures on an illustration inside of a dividend paying whole life contract, they don't have currency signs next to them. I mean, that's just for like ease of reading, but it's kind of a tell, you know, it, at the end of the day, you can denominate the values of dividend paying whole life and whatever you want, right? Theoretically, right? As long as the benefit, as long as what you're receiving, as long as what the contract is doing for you is greater than what you've put in. And that happens in dividend paying whole life, right? We're, we're in a sense, we're immune to the degree that we can be from external currency fluctuations. Um, and even if the worst case scenario were to obtain, we're just, there was, the, you know, all money of any sort was obliterated and we're back to barter. Uh, even if that's going to happen at some point, you're going to be banking from now to then, till then, Right income's going to be generated it's going to go to somebody's bank that if you don't practice ibc is owned by somebody else a dividend to the uh, shareholders of which is getting paid uh, and you have the opportunity to control that so i think there's a lot of worry that's come up and i've kind of gone on a long time here but i think there's a lot of worry that's yeah it was kind of a long the time current. <laughs> thank you very, but it's okay too. i mean you made some very good points. I mean, that's you. You. It was comprehensive. I agree. Well, it just has come up a lot, and I and I haven't heard it explained that way. That you know, you're not going to be. And, and when we get to an illustration review mm -hmm. with clients after we've talked about the structure, we've gone through all that, mm -hmm. and we're looking at you know towards the expiration of a term writer if there is one on the contract, and we're looking at the annual increase in cash value relative to the premium. Mm -hmm. It's like, in what circumstance would that be a bad thing, right? right? What, using Nelson's example, in what circumstance would it be a bad thing to pay in a certain amount of money and in return get 10 times that amount accessible to you on a tax-free basis by policy loan and a private contract? There's, right. I mean, yeah, I, I must say that I've talked about this quite a bit in different places. Maybe you should codify it and put it all in one place. But inflation... I mean, that exists, right? And pointing out the time period and what Nelson did is, is excellent. Um, you can't control what the Federal Reserve does. And they have a history. Oh, wait. And there's a history beyond the Federal Reserve and what they do. So the dollar is going to depreciate, period. And you can't do anything about that depreciation. What right. we can do is control our own actions, become our own banker. Um, but that's... 
a question that I've gotten many times, James, what about inflation? What about inflation if you, depends on where you go. Since 1913, the, the dollar has lost over 98% of its value. But as you mentioned briefly, the, uh, the U.S. military, um, the empire will protect itself. Yeah. And if there's a currency reset, they'll probably do it. Um, but if there is a currency reset, well, let me, let me continue to speak on inflation. I'm going to add some of what you added to or what you spoke on. The, uh, the uh, gold bugs want gold you know, or silver, precious metals to hedge against inflation. And Nelson talks about him buying silver at $40 an ounce in Warehouse of Wealth. We used to have a running joke. Nelson, I'll give you $50 an ounce for your silver. <laughs> you know, and, and he, he explains it pretty well in there, and there's a reason he didn't sell the silver. Um, and it didn't throw off a cash flow. You know, he sold an investment, cleaning up his affairs as he was aging, and put some of the proceeds of that sale and bought some silver. And he points out very clearly that it doesn't have a cash flow. Yeah. You know, um, but if you look at inflation, you know, the Austrians and it's a rising cost of, or an expansion of the money supply. So then there's an apparent, or it causes an apparent, you know, uh, increase in the cost of goods and services. And it's really the devaluation of the dollar. And, um, but right behind that, typically you hear about Weimar, the Weimar Republic, inflation, 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 yeah. how the Germans were throwing around, <clears throat> you know, German marks and wheelbarrows and pushing them. I mean, they're just throwing them away in the streets and they're, they're pushing them with, you know, street cleaners are pushing up wheelbarrows and marks. And I have a, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with Martin Armstrong that the uh, in, the hyperinflation exists when people lose faith in a currency. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look at how much printing and creating of dollars and digits that the U.S. government is, has done and continues to do. So at what point in time is there a hyperinflationary period? You know, it's like... Ten more, ten times the monetary supply. Ten times, five times, twenty times. Right. When is it? I don't know, and you don't either, and they don't either. But life goes on between now and then, whether right. that happens or not. And if you look at life insurance structured this way, or anyway, just typical life insurance. What? No, I mean that 1959 State Farm policy. I mean, oh my gosh. Zero to the base. The I mean, zero to the PUA. The only thing that went into the PUA was the dividend. Mm-hmm. There was no additional premium dollars going into the PUA. It was very, very efficient. And then, as you mentioned, depreciating dollars. You know, it's like what what is uh, what was his three hundred eighty eight dollars in premium worth? You know, in two thousand seventeen, how much could three hundred eighty eight dollars buy in goods and services compared to nineteen fifty nine? Right. It's mind boggling. So if you look at a hedge against inflation, I'm real property, gold, silver, real estate, farmland, whatever. I don't, I agree with that. But if you look at inflation on a cash flow, right? The hedge against inflation on a cash flow, there's nowhere that I'm aware of, there's not a better hedge against inflation on a cash flow. When you when you said earlier, you know, you're buying inputs, right? Okay. 
Well, if I pay 388 in just that one year, the dividend's 500. You didn't talk about the increase of the guaranteed cash value that's going to increase regardless, and it's not increasing at 4% or whatever these knuckleheads on the right side of the screen say, 4%, 4%, 4%. I mean, there's a guaranteed increase in cash value, period. And if you happen to pay a premium, that is just accelerated over the whole life of the policy. My point here, if you consider what a cash flow does with life insurance, you do have to account for an outstanding loan, which a lot of times that's left out of the equation. But if I pay a $10,000 premium and there's 10 times the increase, right? Right. Now, I'm just collateralizing that through a loan if I borrow the 10000 from the life insurance company. Um, so I have to account for that loan. And I think that that lacks in the big wide world of the footprint of IBC um, loan management over a long period of time. It's relative. It's very simple. Um, so when it comes to inflation, there's not a better financial tool that I'm aware of to combat inflation, especially when it comes to a cash flow. And I'm not discounting the, the, uh, the uh, five factor that Nelson talked about and demonstrated over and over and over and over and over. And it's probably a factor of six or seven now in, in 2021, maybe more. Um, but then you, you hear quite often about the currency reset. Well, what, you know, what if they reset the currency? You can't control that, neither can I. And if they reset the currency, they revalue the dollar, they rename it, whatever it is they do, they're going to revalue it, they're going to devalue it, no question. Well, they're doing that on a daily basis by printing digits in dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if there's a hard replacement of a currency, everything you own, we're in the United States, unless we're conquered, everything that we own, every asset that you own is denominated in dollars. So you look at life insurance compared to every other asset that you own, and so what if there's a reset or a currency reset? Everything's revalued in dollars. So you're still comparing life insurance structured this way to every other asset that you have. Yeah. And hands down, it doesn't take, uh, well, it does take critical thinking and legitimate research to see what wins. Right. Um, but let me... I want to make a couple of points here. 1959, right, state farm policy that he buys from brother. The dividends are used to pay the premium for the first 15 years. Nelson became a life insurance agent in 1964. Okay. So um, for the first 13, no, 10 years after he became an agent. He still let the dividend pay the premium. Yeah. So, you know, he was a slow learner, aren't we all? <laughs> I'm telling, I'm just saying that, well, why didn't the life insurance companies tell him in that 10-year time period, don't do that, pay a premium, pay a premium. And my point here is that he um, faced noise just like we do today. We, not only the agent advisor, but everyone who's practicing the infinite banking concept because the financial gurus will tell you you know whatever their opposition is to whatever point that is made in the infinite banking concept with dividend paying life insurance um so i'm just saying that nelson faced the noise just like we do so it's nothing new and 
you get into equipment financing, which is, I think, where you want to go. <clears throat> and you look at the interest rates at that time compared to now, the dividends at that time compared to now. That was two or three CSO table iterations, you know. Like Nelson's 1959 policy was built on the 1958 mortality tables. The book was printed in 2000. I believe that was built on the 1997 mortality tables. You know, they've changed several times. And you can't control that. Neither can I. Can't control interest rates. What you can control is what you do with your money and your cash flows. And that's what made all the difference in the world. The policies are going to become more efficient by the mere existence. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, we're buying inputs. There's no question, but we're also buying, you know, the backing of the policies by the whatever company is making all the guarantees. And, you know, we're buying into their philosophy. We're buying into their management. And, you know, then we're buying into the the agent or the advisor that we choose to work with, you know, we we're deciding that we like them, trust them or can do business with them. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it is what you do with your policy that matters. As a matter of fact, it's uh, the action of the owner has a greater bearing on the outcome of a policy than even the life insurance company. Hmm. Go apply that anywhere else in the financial world, and you cannot right. to the same or equivalent level. Mm -hmm. So that's very good. That's a, there's a lot there. Yeah, and the people who bring that up typically somewhere in the back of their mind is the precious metal <coughs> idea. Oh yeah, so always maybe stocking up gold and silver, or some other. We just generalize some other commodity that on the prospect of future increased depreciation or a hyperinflation in the currency that and it gets kind of funny the the i guess the idea is that the value of the commodity in dollars will rise sometimes it's funny <laughs> uh, it's very uh trying sometimes it's like nelson used to point out all the time well pray tell what are you going to accept in exchange for your gold oh yeah. u.s dollars Those worthless dollars yeah wow i had a i had a uh a guy that wore my team out, and it's my fault for letting him out of, I think, California. I don't remember where he's from, but, you know, he was 60-something years old. He's like, James, this is the greatest thing ever. My grandfather was a number one salesman for one of the big New York or the big four companies. It's like he retired in 1927 with all this money and blah, 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 and went on and on. And, and uh, after I figured out he was wearing my team out, taking advantage of our good graces and our time, I'm like, well, it looks like your generation and your parents' generation, the next two generations squandered everything your granddaddy did, you know, because he thought he wanted to buy life insurance, you know, and at age 60, which is fine. You can do that. No problem. Um, but right before I sent him packing, you know, he gives me this great big presentation on gold compared uh. gold compared to 1927 to like a life insurance policy today. And it's like. Dude, the ba your basis of comparison is like way out, and you didn't buy the gold anyway. Right. So this um, idea that this is better than that coming from the brother-in-law, the financial guru, or whatever somebody's excited to do, you know, the gold bug promoter. And I'm not disparaging gold. I love precious metals. I love precious metals. All right. Okay. Um 
90 or the majority of the time there's not an equal comparison to what's going on so yeah and i agree and and so where i was going with that is the people who do bring up the precious metal idea it's like okay it, we could think of a time in the future when we're that urgency that that sense of concern about the current about the u.s dollar is so tremendous that potentially tomorrow or next week you know we might have to use a different currency uh, to go, you know, buy bread or fill up the truck with gas or whatever. Tobacco, okay. whiskey, if, water if, filters. If that's the case, if that were to happen, the policy's built so that you can exercise your purchasing power to go get the thing that you think will be of value in the future, right? The the purchases of the precious metals, <clears throat> those are that's a financed speculative investment, just like all the other things out there, right? If, if you wanted to optimally finance that purchase well then it becomes a question of capitalization then it becomes a question of where am i getting the money to do it have i already harnessed that purchasing power have i already captured uh the the funds i'll use to acquire the gold and silver in my own capitalization system you know so the the policies are built just by design with the policy loan feature to serve you in the event that you should choose to go and get the thing that you think is going to appreciate against the dollar, right? So it's, these are not, it, it's a, the question of about hyperinflation and, and depreciating purchasing power is tied to uh, the question of investment versus capitalization. Because if, I, if I'm mm -hmm. concerned about the, f the future of the currency and therefore want to acquire some other commodity on the expectation that it's going to rise in value, that we're, we're now right back into the world of investment, right? We're, we're thinking of what can I buy in order for the, so what can I buy such that the value of that thing is going to increase in the future? So that I'm, I'll be in a position then to trade it off in the future and get more than what I could have got had I just used the the prior currency, right? That that's a that's a investment question, and all investments are financed. And so the, these two questions are are not opposites, right? These, not these are exclusive. Yeah, these are sequential <clears throat> questions. These are how am I capitalizing and in the event that I am capitalizing in some way, is that putting me in a position to where if I did need to go get these other things, these other commodities that might become more valuable in the future, could I then go do that? Right? And then the one other thing is, I mentioned before that when we do IBC, we buy dividend paying whole life, we're buying a relationship. We're buying a relationship between inputs and outputs. Others have emphasized the procedural or process aspect of IBC. This is something that continues on into time. And I'm saying here that we're buying this relate this ongoing relationship, right? When you buy <laughs> precious metals or commodities, that is not an ongoing an ongoing relationship. There is not a process there, right? This is that it's a it's a trade-off for one thing of value for another, for dollars for silver. And like you were mentioning earlier, the idea of cash flow, the, those precious metals aren't throwing off a cash flow, right? That, that acquisition of that precious, precious metal does not buy me the right in the future. You know, there's no option attached to it. It's not like I can go in the future and, and you know, I have a, a right to pay a certain fixed amount more in order to get more silver, right? There, there's no ongoing dynamic relationship in that commodity purchase, which it, which emphasizes the fact that it's 
an, an, a speculative investment decision, which is fine. If if you want to speculate on the on a future change in the price of a precious metal, by all means, go for it. The point is that that's not what's happening in, in dividend paying whole life. That isn't an alternative to dividend paying whole life, right? It's not an alternative to capturing and controlling the banking function. It's not. It's not a. It's your. The difference is just, you're, you're just right on point. Investment, capitalization. You know, every investment is financed. Every investment, every financing deal has to have capital, period. Whether it's fake, printed, digital, whatever. Yeah. I mean, nothing happens until there's an exchange of money or currency. That reminds me, though, of uh, the uh, I have a client. He's in his 90s now. He's been a client a long time. And he told me, he said, James, I uh, was in my living room in 1964 when LBJ came on the black and white TV and said, silver is, has become too valuable to use as money. Uh. <laughs> I was born in 63, so I wasn't watching TV. And uh, it shocked him, and it clued him into uh, something legitimately was wrong. And so he became a, he started buying silver at that time. Ah. And he bought silver ever since then. And then if I can continue, he, he did marry a, a lady who wrote whole life insurance for a while. Of course, they didn't own any. But uh, he has two lovely sons that he's going to, like the rest of us, everything that we have accumulated and did not spend or give away, we're going to leave to someone else. Right? Vanity of vanities. He has two sons, and all of that silver he's going to leave to them and everything else he's accumulated. But he was very intrigued with this idea of the infinite banking concept. And so you're, you know, like a silver bug or a gold bug, precious metals guy, and I'm not being disparaging, you know, is consistently making purchases. We had to save up money to make the purchase or put it on credit and then make credit card payments or loan repayments so and he's a pretty sharp guy and he had the opportunity to meet nelson you know a couple of times as a matter of fact and it was really simple the cash flows the purchasing dollars that he was using those dollars to buy silver which is what he liked to do and what he did and what he continues to do to this day save up money make a purchase save up money make a purchase it was very easy for him to understand and wrap his mind around pay premium, loan, mm. loan repayment. Pay premium, loan, loan repayment. So not really a word game. I don't want to diminish it to that, but I don't, and I don't want to oversimplify. But we're literally just changing the names of cash flows and the places that it goes to and from. It's almost like a mental gymnastics. But at the end of the day, there's no question we're buying life insurance. Right, And then we're financing everything that we were going to finance anyway. And then, you know, over, he's been a client a long time. He bought the silver that he was going to buy anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And now there's two life insurance policies because oh, wow. he purchased policies on his sons who may or may not have grandchildren. So he's got all of that cash value, all of that tax-free death benefit. So his next two generations are going to get the silver and everything else that he purchased and didn't give away or spend, 
plus a tax-free death benefit. Tell me what's wrong with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nothing. No. Nothing. Anyway. I think where this comes from is that uh, Nelson did such a good job and IBC is obviously so good and there's a a desire to find the catch. And I, and I think a lot of people who are interested in the infinite banking concept are already somewhat skeptical of conventional finance. Oh, yeah. And with it, the monetary system and the dollar. And you go to various links, various depths there, you know, along that rabbit hole. Uh, well, it's almost it, if, if you've had um, a bad experience with third-party lenders of any kind, you know, you've got a heightened awareness of, like, I'm over it. And yeah. uh, when you... It's easier. This is then easier caught for people who've who've had a, you know, almost a. I mean, it's going to happen. You're going to if you if you stay in the financial world very long, if you engage with third party lenders very long, you're going to have some unpleasant experiences along the way. Period. Mm-hmm. My experience. Yeah, and so I think these people can are are sort of on the on the lookout for the things hidden in the shadows. You know what what. Sure. might not work here what aren't we thinking of and i think the one of the reasons this the question about inflation is still a a hang-up for a lot of people i'm thinking primarily in the austrian world is that the the economic theory capital theory in particular is not developed enough to really firmly and adequately respond to the objection right because it's we have to understand what capital is, what, what, what financial value is, separate and apart from money, separate and apart from the actual medium of exchange or potential future mediums of exchange, like precious metals or what have you. It, it's, just a, it's just a categorically distinct question. You know, how, are we capital, how are we harnessing financial value over time? regardless of what the money might be, regardless of whether we use a certain one medium or another to facilitate our exchanges, right? What, what are we doing to just accumulate financial value denominated in whatever the money happens to be? Mm-hmm. And that question is not asked, right? And so to, to correctly address the concern, the legitimate concern, I don't want people to take me wrong on this, uh, it's a legitimate concern about being, you know, too heavily concentrated in one current. You know, we hear on CNBC that, you know, foreign currency exchange risk and all this kind of stuff. And, and naturally, we want to know, you know, are we exposed to that or, you know, should we be concerned? And my point here is if we go back to the structure of the contract and understand the, the relationship between premium and cash values and death benefits over time, in the context of the infinite banking concept, in the context of the structure of these contracts, then these concerns melt away. And I think they leave us in a, an even better position, right? Like, of course, I'd want to be, I'd want to be the guy who has the authority to pay in a certain amount mm-hmm. in order to get 10 times that amount available to me so that if I wanted to go get silver or whatever, I could go, now my ability to go do that would be even greater. Right. If if I were really concerned about what's going to happen over the next few decades, you know, and I'm planning for the for the future, I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking long range, like Nelson said. Well, then I need to start paying premium now, so that I can trigger those dramatic increases in cash value on an annual basis later down the road. 
I have this conversation with people who are thinking more in the frame of wanting to have passive cash flow for their later in life mm-hmm. time. And, you know, they've maybe they're <clears throat> mid 40s, maybe 50s. You know, they're, they're thinking about what's coming in their 60s and beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, get to it. You know, get to it. If, if we want to trigger substantial cash value appreciation in the later years to provide for a tax-free cash flow later on, you, the, the price of that is premium now. And it's, you know, you know, go as big as your circumstances will allow and your level of understanding will accept because that's the only way to get to high cash value appreciation later high cash value appreciation later down the line, regardless of whether it's for passive cash flow or for speculative purchases of currencies that are going to, you know, be produce a higher cash flow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Nelson said over and over and over, and the older I get, the more I agree. I've always agreed with him that people don't think um, far enough into the future. They have short-term thinking, especially when it comes to life insurance. Yeah. Um, and hence, that's why the noise exists, and and we're all human. You know, we, uh, you know, typically want immediate gratification. But Nelson consistently and continually said, people do not look at life insurance over a long enough time period, and right. that is apparent. Um, in many ways, one way is to try to force a policy for the premium and the cash value to equal in years three, four, five, or the shortest time period possible. Um, that's just a continuation of noise and incorrect thinking. But when we're looking at a life insurance illustration, we're human. We don't want to look at you know big premiums forever. Right, so it's futures unknown. It's like, man, I'm very uncomfortable. Where's the money going to come from? And all of those, and you know, thoughts. And it's continually premium is continually mistaken for an expense. No, well, no question, because when it typically when we have learned about life insurance and we have been trained to look at life insurance a particular way by the financial world, Mm -hmm. right? Whether you agree or disagree. But it's always looked at as an expense because we want to put the least amount of dollars in, pennies in, and get the most death benefit possible. Mm-hmm. It's always been, it's commoditized, and it's being commoditized even in the infinite banking footprint. Um, that doesn't mean it's right. I mean, if you, whatever, if you have a temporary need for life insurance, you only need life insurance, a death benefit for a year or two, by all means, go buy a car and back up the truck, you know? Mm-hmm. Um completely different than the infinite banking concept. Now, I'm not saying that the the death benefit isn't legitimate and important. As a matter of fact, the death benefit is typically um, disparaged too greatly in the infinite banking world. <clears throat> and, we, you know, Jake, my son, I say it, the cash value must equal the face amount at age 120. By design, by contract. So, do you want a little death benefit? Do you want a small face amount at age 120? Or do you want a large face amount at age 120? And just based on that simple, straightforward question, well, I want a large one. That doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice 
all of your liquidity now, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the more people understand what's really going on in life insurance based on Nelson's work, becoming your own banker, building a warehouse of wealth, and then this Banking With Life channel, um, the, the argument of base and short term and long term and premium amount becomes very clear, becomes more and more clear the more you know and then the more you practice this. You know, when you start writing a check, you know, when you're paying, and I, and I get the illustrations, everybody wants to use a thousand, I'm mean, not a thousand, a hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, five hundred, whatever premium level that you can wrap your mind around and justify within yourself and your family, wherever it is you start, um, it, it it's like Katie bar the door. It's a very short time period that that you see that it is better than you thought it was going to be, typically. Yeah, that it actually works. Um, going back to that premium and expense thing, you know, I th when we think of expenses, it's a subtraction from our capital, right? We're expending. We're yeah, but I'm getting something for that. Hold on, I know that's where I'm going. Oh, here. Okay. Yeah. So it, and it, with a normal expense, you have a, a, an exchange. Maybe you get, you know, you buy something from the store, or what have you. But the but the capital's gone, right? The the financial value has been gone. And maybe you have something for your own consumption. Um, with a with premium though, where there the capital isn't extinguished, right? It's it's the opposite. It's that we're creating capital both now, but also in the future. Right, so the, it's not an an expense in the typical when we think of the word expense. It's kind of like you know what's the rate of return in a policy? It's like well, there isn't a rate of return in the way that people normally think of a rate of return. You know, like a cap rate on a real estate property or a dividend from a publicly traded stock or something. That that language just doesn't hold, and it's the same thing here. It's it's not when we think of expense, we're thinking of okay, I no longer have that purchasing power anymore. I've got something else for it, but the purchasing power, that the the buying power, that's gone. Gone in <clears throat> forever. In life insurance, it's almost the exact opposite because not only are we not giving up purchasing power permanently, we're securing that purchasing power for life for the life for your lifetime and on to into your kids and potentially their kids' lives. Right? You're you're creating a, a structure in order to produce a kind of purchasing power that will serve you again and again, right? Because you'll you'll build, you'll pay the premium, you'll build the cash value, you'll take a loan to pay for something, you'll pay back the loan. Well, in the future, you're going to collateralize the same cash value. You're going to exercise, in a sense, that same purchasing power over again. Actually, you're going to be able to cash capitalize much more, even cash more value. Yeah. So, so not it's, only it's, those so, dollars, but those dollars create new dollars, or whatever currency we're. Whatever the currency is. We're yeah. evaluating and, you know, measuring our assets in. I mean, right. it's... So premium is really not an expense, and it's a it's a part of the capital generation process that sits underneath the uh, the, the currency picture, the currency question, right, of what, what dollar or what unit of money are we using. Um, well, that, and that's yeah. not to say that there's no expense, quote unquote, in life insurance policies. Right. Correct. Yeah, I'm not saying that either. So, there are expenses 
yes, there is cost, right? You do have, you, you are, it's not, everything isn't perfectly liquid day one, no question, right? We, there is a, a process here. So it's, it's not a one-for-one one relationship, but it's not a one-for-one one relationship in the beginning, and it's not going to be a one-for-one one relationship in the end. Meaning, if you pay a premium, you'll, den- you'll generate less than a dollar of cash value now, for sure. But you get 20, 30 years down the line, you pay a premium, there's going to be more than a dollar of cash I'm value I'm 65 generated. years old. I can't think 30 years into the future. Well, Then there's an even distribution of age classes at page 70 in Nelson's book. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, a legitimate... Uh, conversation that I've had over the years over and over and over repetitively and, and, and rightly so because we're all human and we all have we all tend to want the same things and have typically the same fears um, you know at my age I'm I'm not going to be here in 50 years you know I'm not and I'd be okay being here in 50 years if I have all my mental faculties and physical abilities but you know I'm not going to be here in 50 years end of the day so I can't wait to start my next policy. Well, I might not be here for 40 years, uh-huh. right? Everything that I create on the face of this earth and do not spend or give away is going to be left to someone else, preferably the people that I love right, or support. They're going to be here in 51 years, and I'm not. Okay. So, you know, like my youngest child, she'll be here in 60 or 70 years. So although, you know, I don't necessarily have to go completely without, and I'm not going to go completely without. I'm not interested in doing without. I've done that enough in my life. So, but I can postpone gratification, you know, like anyone else. I have discipline. I will Parkinson or I battle with Parkinson's every day. Sometimes he whoops me. Sometimes <laughs> I whoop him. Okay. But um, just because... I'm not going to personally benefit from something in a monetary way doesn't mean that it's not good or I shouldn't participate. I mean, I'm going to have, hopefully, I have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, some of which I'll probably never meet. What's wrong with um, having an input in their lives? What's wrong with having a foundation or a leg up, helping them, you know, educating them, uh, financially, uh, it's like I heard it a guy one time a long time ago, and I've said it before. There's more than there's several types of wealth, right? Monetary wealth, we're talking about that. But there's also heritage, you know, intellectual wealth, and, and there's probably more than that. But out of those three, Mr. Greaves, what's most important? Intellectual wealth, money, financial wealth, or heritage, family heritage? Is there a spiritual box? Can I check? Can I do that one? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that trumps everything. I mean, okay. there's that answer is very clear there. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's monetary wealth does not, it, does it rarely hit the top of the list? Right. It's always at the bottom of the list, you know. But um, my point is that at my age, I mean, it, you can't do this quick enough, whether you get to enjoy the, you know, the passive income in retirement or your children have the means and the opportunity to control their finances and be independent and not dependent, separated from the third party lending. What yeah. kind of freedom is that? 
And where does that go on a life insurance illustration? You can't put the value of that. You know, and if I wanted to buy gold or silver, um, and maybe uh, if I'm being speculative, speculative on any investment, you know, there's a timing element that exists in the world of finance, and particularly in investments, mm-hmm. right? So if I think I'm making a good investment, uh, it's just like, Katie bar the door, let's get to it. Do I want to be beholden to the third-party lender? Do I want to go through their underwriting and, and cough up two years of taxes and K-1s and this and that and pay my CPA to approve or sign off on all that document that the bank required? And right underneath his signature is going to be a statement that I'm only providing these numbers solely based on what the client has provided to me. I'm not guaranteeing anything, mm-hmm. but I got to pay for that. And then I got to spend the time to uh, jump through their hoops. And maybe I want to, but maybe I don't. But I sure don't want to have to. Right? Yeah. I mean, I've had clients that uh, investment, uh, real estate investment clients, you know, they have hundreds of doors, right? So they're, they're lenders, um, you know, they're investment loans, investment real estate. They have to cough up a pro forma, right? And then the, the the all of that has to be put in front of the loan department or the the board or the lending institution, and I'm not saying they're as slow as life insurance companies, but you know they can zoom right past deadlines, yeah. right, and then require another pro forma, and then another pro forma, and I understand. You know, money's cheap when you can print it out of thin air and create digits out of thin air. I get it. There is no value. I understand that. But while all of our brothers and sisters around the country are, you know, like full faith in the credit of the U.S. government and the military apparatus to ensure the control of the value, my point is this, that, you know, the third-party lenders in that real estate deal, they didn't give them you know, 80% loan to value, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can miss opportunities if you don't have access to capital. Yeah. And that what a, what a big part of it. You know, the people who are, not all the people, but those don't who Don't paint with such a broad brush. I don't care how big the canvas is, <laughs> Mr. Griggs. <laughs> the, you know, those who are like thinking about investments in the future and really weighing the, you know, doing IBC against something like investing it's kind of a it's a little ironic that you know if there was the same eagerness to capitalize first to do ibc first that would put you in an even better position to invest down the road like all that urgency to be involved and be successful in the investment realm would be so much better place it's almost like you know, if I'm going to be in business, I want to be profitable. I really, I want to, I want to be very, very profitable. That, that's, that's important over that, the long term. That's for sure. what I'm going to. That's <laughs> what I'm going to think of and target. Well, it's like that'll happen if you focus on the value, right? If you really spend your time doing a good job with people and doing well at what you do and all that. I just that, had this conversation. The profit will come yesterday. You know, it's like if you diligently focus on capitalizing and preparing yourself, harnessing purchasing power for the future. The investment performance will come in business. Like, I mean, all businesses exist to provide a serve number one to make a profit, right? And they're going to provide a service or produce a good goods and services. And if that's what you focus on, your efficiency, 
and capital and capital accumulation. Everything else takes everything care of else itself. comes. Yeah, everything, everything else. else. Then Nelson, in fact, just in the the section I read on uh, or referenced in chapter two about his state farm policy and the dividend checks associated with it on the very next page beginning on 18 i'm sorry beginning on maybe it's 20 yeah beginning on 20 uh he starts talking about how he financed the purchases of 100 acres of timberland oh my gosh and not just once you know and all the profit that accrued to him from that oh my gosh just an example of what and then you know what he did with that cash flow Oh my gosh! That listen, don't don't bring another warehouse building your warehouse of wealth to this table on the second edition. I want the first edition. <laughs> so please, all right. I don't want to sound bossy, but it hurts my heart when I open this. I'm I'm the one that pointed it out. No, I know. Thank you. Yeah. This is required reading. Really, this is required reading. If you want to learn the infinite banking concept. Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. I mean, he, he, he shares uh, stories and experiences and uh, a couple of essays in there that he didn't share anywhere else other than a live event. And there's a great reading list in the back, too. People ask me, well, what else could I be reading? I mean, as far as or really doing in general – for education purposes within the IBC. I mean, I tell people, uh, becoming your own banker, building your warehouse of wealth, this podcast. My Medium blog, you could read that. Um, there's more elaborations on stuff I've mentioned here, there, but um, otherwise, you know, there's great, he's got a list of economics reading, history reading, stock market stuff all in the back of this book I, I really enjoy this book no uh, illustrations in this book maybe what? why I like it even better <laughs> right. I wonder what um, episode we talked about that book last year whenever I'm going to peel that out yeah we'll find it alright what else what else young man That's like, I had a whole other thing but we'll do that next time yeah so he, he comes with two pages of notes and they're very good notes and they're like full full topics you know so you just can't just come right you can't shortchange some of the you can't shortchange this information yeah no so it requires more than one episode great we have something I think to do in the not future not worry so much about the inflation thing i my my big thing is that i think people feel a lot of fear around it and then fear might affect judgment some and we just get you know analysis paralysis and like fear paralysis we just kind of hunker down and it's like and i don't think I, my big message is that's not necessary. You know, there's been a lot of uh, currency depreciation in the country, and we've, you know, here we are. Life is still chugging along. We still have the ability to capitalize optimally. There's all sorts of opportunity to do that. The, the economics and the financial profession don't think in these terms. Uh, the assets available, there's multiple companies from which to get it. Um, although some of them are demutualizing, <laughs> there's still plenty of companies to get them from. Uh, and you can initiate this capital generation process so that if you have to go get into another commodity in the future because of uh, future money 
problems, then then you can do it. So get started, and the the fear associated with the economy, with the money, as as they both pertain to the infinite banking concept, I think oftentimes are just overblown. Um, well, look, if you think that the currency is going to be replaced, um, or you're trying to take advantage of some other commodity that you believe is going to rise in price and you're doing that anyway it doesn't matter what you are doing the infinite banking concept will add jet engines to what you're doing and then if of course the longer you look the better the results are but if you think the world is going to collapse next week next year i mean you know god bless you which you don't, right? Which people don't. They're not. No, no, they don't. Out right. Listening to podcasts right. and yet tripping about next week. So, but let's say let's say that it's gonna. All these bad things are gonna happen sooner than later, right? Okay, I pay a premium. I fully collateralize the every dollar of cash value, which I don't necessarily agree with. That I'm just saying, I could go buy tobacco. I could go buy gold and silver. I could I could go buy farmland. I could go buy, you know, fake COVID vaccine passports you know whatever it is i'm you know i could go buy chickens or goats or whatever it is i think that i'm going to need to survive these bad things that are happening yeah right and then and if i do that through a loan i mean by the mere we all have a good the, uh, the especially the listeners to this podcast we have a pretty thorough understanding of the effects of inflation anyway so aren't i Paying the loan repayment with depreciating dollars as long as well as a premium payment. I mean, isn't that what's going on? If I borrow a hundred thousand dollars from the life insurance company and I go buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of whatever gold, silver, tobacco, water filters, dried food, whatever it is, and I'm paying that loan back with depreciating dollars. <laughs> I mean, what's I, we didn't have to even. Uh, I didn't have to call a single Austrian in here to explain that to me. <laughs> not, and I love Austrians. Don't misunderstand. I'm not disparaging them. I listen to a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I like some better than others, just like, you know, they like some people better than others. I don't know. What, what can I say? <laughs> I'm very, <clears throat> I'm going to choose my words very carefully because I'm full of love and peace and kumbaya and grace. I'm full of grace as well. Okay. I'm all done. Thanks, y'all. Have a great day. Until next time. Next week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.